Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Buddy, big night. Big night. Big night for the Boundary Corner Podcast. We are going live tonight, streaming. And tonight, folks, we have Hokies legend and current assistant defensive line coach for my San Francisco 49ers, Daryl Tapp is going to be joining us. And, man, I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, this this is big. Uh, everyone that's been watching the podcast, they know how we feel about DTAP. So, big to have him on. Let's go ahead and bring him in here. Yes, sir. DTAP, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, fellas. How y'all be? Uh, living the dream, man. Living the dream. Thanks for joining us. Living the dream. Yeah, man, anytime. Nice 90-degree day here in uh, the RVA in Virginia. How's it out there on the West Coast tonight? It's nice. It's not even nighttime. It's 3 o'clock out here. I'm I'm already messing up. Look at that. Forgot you over 3 o'clock. You got to take an afternoon nap after you wrap up with us today? No doubt. Watch these basketball games, and I'm good. There we go. There we go. Heck yeah, man. So, DTAP, let's uh, let's start it off this way. How's the move been for you? It's been it's been good. It's been really good. Uh, the wife and I are transitioning out here to get locked and loaded for this upcoming season. Uh, but the organization has been awesome. Like it's been very helpful for us getting to set up and trying to move our stuff and cars shipped and the whole nine. And it's allowed me to come in here and focus on learning from these coaches and getting ourselves prepared for this season. All right, Brian, I'm, I'm going to take over the next few questions, man, because <laughs> I got to ask it. Close to the heart. I get it. I get it. Close to my heart, man. Dude, as I said, I'm a Niners fan. Now, you're coming into a situation on that defensive line. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, no Javon Kinlaw, got Samson, picked him up in free agency. How are you feeling about the room so far? I'm excited. Uh, we have an all-veteran room. Like, we don't have any rookies. We don't have any. At Tech, I call them puppies because guys are just coming in trying to learn. We don't have any of those. Everybody in our room, we're 15 deep, I believe, full of guys that have played ball in this league. So these guys are coming with a different mindset for us, what they want to accomplish, what they want to do. Guys have stuff to prove this year. You know, last year, uh, unfortunately, got hit with a lot of different injuries and things that happened on the heels of a Super Bowl uh, run the year before. So guys have come in to – OTAs and and going into minicamp with a different focus, and it's pretty cool to be a part of and see how they've been attacking their work. Yeah, absolutely. We are a very veteran-laden group. I mean, I think the youngest guy in there might have three years' experience and obviously some really high draft picks. Um, I hope Nick's looking good. I know he's recovering. Um, But how's it now? You know, we I take a look. You know, Robert Sala gets hired, comes here to East Coast to the Jets, and – an old playing friend, man, D'Amico Rhines is taking over. How are things feeling with him at the helm? And how does it feel having someone you played with running the show? It's awesome. Honestly, for me, that was a huge part uh, to have somebody that I play with. I'm familiar with how he operates and rocks, especially in critical situations. Like, he's a calm guy. Like, he's going to ease ease the waters and allow guys to go out there and focus on their work. But he's been commanded unreal like just like i said a calm presence the scheme that he's going to run and bring in is going to allow our guys to go play fast uh and guys have been gravitating towards him as well like he's a guy that everybody respects not only by the way he carries himself but the fact that he did it in this league for a long time 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he did it for quite a while. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'll be honest, I listen to the Bay Area radio. I read all the reporters. And obviously, a lot of people are saying, you know, we were in that cover three. And a lot of people are saying, okay. that ain't, D'Amico ain't just going to stick with that. D'Amico got some uh, aces up his sleeve. He's probably going to play. So you don't have to answer this, but, <laughs> you know, should I expect to see maybe some different uh, things all around from D'Amico's defense? I think you should expect to see anything. Then the fact that D'Amico is playing this lead yes, and he knows how to think as a linebacker, he knows how to think as a coordinator, he's going to be able to attack different schemes that come in here. And we're going to be right in his pocket doing the same thing he asked us to do. But we got some, we got some stuff ready to go. That is just awesome to hear. All right. <laughs> That's music thing. to your ears, right, Curtis? My ears. <laughs> All right, one more thing, you know, you know, you're now working as a colleague with Chris Kassert. Chris Kassert coached you yes, in Detroit. Chris Kassert, highly respected defensive line coach. Yes. And I can say I saw it. The day they brought him in there, our defensive line changed um, from being good to being borderline great. But what's that relationship like now? You know, you went from the player, and now you're right next to him. You're the colleague. What's the relationship like with Chris now that, you know, things have changed? Um, things have changed from my actual role, my title. Okay. But they haven't changed. Uh, when I got to Detroit, I was year nine in. So I was already an old head or a dinosaur <laughs> or a relic, however you want to say it. Yeah. But I was a player's coach. So I already understood what I needed to do and what everybody else in the defensive line needed to do. And that's part of the reason that Coach Chris was invested in me as a player because I was able to be a player coach. Um, so it really hasn't changed other than my title. Uh, me being able to go out there and operate and do things to play off of him and get that message across has been the same thing. It's automatic instant credibility with Coach Chris. He played in the league for a couple of years, and he's been a guy that's been able to transform careers, extend them. Uh, and I'm living proof of that man's work. Now, I played for him for two years and extended my career as well and played some great ball. So the guys see that. They know that. They know that Coach Chris is invested in them. Uh, they've seen the way I've carried myself. And Coach Chris doesn't put his name on anybody that isn't about the same thing that he's about and have conviction in this scheme and what we're doing. So it's been an awesome transition as far as me being a coach. But as far as Chris and my relationship, it's been the same. If anything, he's pouring even more into me now as a coach uh, in the same way he poured into me as a player. Like, he he's family. That's awesome to hear. Um, yeah. And I guess the other thing that, you know, I want to kind of ask about Chris, because, I mean, you talked about before we jumped on like that Detroit Lions line, you know, do you see pieces of the Niners line? It's kind of because y'all were, that was a really good yeah. line, which, you know, I remember you mentioned Sue and some other guys, Ziggy Ansa. I mean, do you see this kind of shaping up this year to be like that? I hope so. So when I first got here, one of the biggest things was getting familiar with the players on our D-line as well as our defense, but especially the D-line, find out what the strengths and weaknesses are, uh, find out how they meshed and rocked together. And the first film we looked at was film from the Super Bowl run year. And those guys were flying around everywhere, doing everything, playing with great effort, passion for the game, energy. Um, and like I said, last year, it just took a little bit of injury toll. But that 19 year looked exactly how we looked in 14. Now, the camaraderie we had in the defensive line, 
now you have pretty much all those guys back and you added a couple more pieces. And like I said, the way these guys have been handling their business going into OTAs and uh, heading into minicamp in a couple of weeks has been elite. Right. Like these guys are grown men. They know what they want to accomplish. Um, and everybody has something to prove to themselves and they want to do it with each other. Right. One more That's question. Awesome. One more question. <laughs> Sorry. Talk, talk to him. All right, man. So John Lynch is a GM Hall of Famer. You played for Kyle Shanahan with the Redskins when he was the OC there. You were coached by Chris Kasurit, and you play with D'Amico Ryans. How does it make you feel professionally as you're getting into coaching? They picked up that phone, called DTAP, and said, hey, here's the opportunity to coach with a guy, your guys you're very familiar with, and it's yeah. this beast group of linemen. Like, how does that make a guy feel as you're getting your coaching career started? It. It, I can't. I'm gonna be honest with you. It was a bittersweet feeling because I had finally got back to Virginia Tech to coach. Like the dream of dreams. Like never thought it would happen, and got that opportunity. But I had to thank my mom and dad and my two older brothers for raising me the right way. They always taught me that you treat everybody the right way because you never know what those bridges had to come back around. Yep. So I played for Coach Shanahan with the Redskins with the Washington Football Team now. In 2013, yep. from the staff from last year that was here with the 49ers, I had played for 12 different coaches between the Redskins, Lions, and the Eagles. So the way that I carried myself, the way I handled my business, the way I came to work uh, with an attention to detail and built the relationships have brought it all the way back to 2021 to my first opportunity to coach in the NFL. And just as, as small as it is, small of a chance it is for players to get from college to play in the NFL, it's like 10 times harder <laughs> to get in <laughs> as a coach. I bet. And like I said, the way that I was able to create those relationships and the way that I had my business brought me to this opportunity here. So it was an unbelievable experience and feeling to, like I said, to have that phone call with Coach Chris to tell me about the opportunity, to have the phone call from D'Amico, who were, were former teammates, uh, together in Philadelphia, and then for Coach Shanahan to solidify with the opportunity to come out here and coach and get my my, my feet wet coaching <laughs> and be around this great organization, like it's it's been unreal. Like I feel like that that the dude in, in in training day with Denzel Washington, like every day I'm learning something. <laughs> like it's never a moment where my mind isn't blown. That's awesome to learn new stuff and also to see how the the other side of the game at this level. Yeah, that, that's awesome to hear. So I, I got a question. It's not Niner specific because I'm not I'm not quite in, in, in the tank like Curtis is there. But, um, I mean, the biggest thing, so you've been Power 5 defensive line coach. Now you're assistant defensive line coach at the NFL level. Recruiting aside, like, what's the biggest difference between those two that you've seen so far in, like, a few months in the NFL? I will say that the biggest thing is that now you're dealing with grown-ups. Meaning that in college, your main goal is to, to push these guys from childhood to adulthood. You want to help these guys become better men in every aspect, academics, uh, social skills, with football knowledge, and then get them, to, get them across the line to get their degree. Whereas now in the NFL, this is now a job. And you have to continue to stress that to these guys, especially the ones that come in. Fortunately, I don't have to do that this year, but older guys understand it even more so like NFL means not for long. Like that is truly a real thing. And I was fortunate and blessed to play longer than the, the 2.7 year average. 
Um, but you're you're stressing this is a job. Like if you don't get it right, yeah, they will find somebody else that will. So every day you need to step in this building. Forget stepping out of bed. You need to get out of bed with a clear cut focus of what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do, because this is going to benefit you, going to benefit your family, and you're playing a child's game for a king's ransom. So you need to maximize every opportunity you have to have <laughs> to play this game and earn a way of life for your family. Whereas in college, these guys still kind of, you're still trying to get them out of the, the high school thing where like, all right, I can mess up today. I still be good tomorrow. It don't work like that in the NFL, especially right now. Like all these guys, as much as we love them all, they're competing for a spot, competing for opportunity to play in this league. There are only 1,800 jobs. So you got to make your mark every day in everything that you do and be mindful of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, that's the big thing for me too. Like when we look at, uh, you know, the difference, like, like you said, you're dealing with kids coming out of high school. They're, they're, they're not used to the, that, that type of grind that right when you're in the NFL, every day counts because the next day isn't promised. No doubt about it. Awesome. Well, before we get into more conversation here with Daryl Tapp, we are going to take a quick pause for a quick message from our digital partners. All right, DTAP, we're going to get back into it here. Um, we're going to pivot more to more Hokie-specific stuff now. now uh, Curtis has had his moment in the sun here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, th- this year you're working with Chris Kasurik. Last year you were working with Bill Tierlink, who was close to my heart as a Colts fan. The name Tierlink, you know, right right out the gate, I was like, no, "Oh, we got, we got Bill coming in." Okay, okay. Um, so, I mean, not many guys get a chance to coach with that level of of guys that have done it in, at the NFL. Um, what was it like to work with Bill last year? It was good. That honestly, Coach Ham and Coach well, Coach Winter and Coach Ham did a great job assembling staff of people that care. Uh, now, with that said, it was a beast last year. You had to deal with so many things. You had to deal with the Rona first and foremost. Uh, it was a brand new staff. We never really got the chance to really vibe and click as a complete unit until probably later on in the season. So we'll still learn each other's strengths and weaknesses and what everybody did best. Um, then we're trying to install a brand new scheme to these guys via Zoom. And we were just learning Zoom ourselves. So you had to try to keep those guys' attention there. So it was, it was so many hurdles we had to get across. But I can tell you that on that defensive side of the ball, um, that we came to work every day with a clear-cut focus on how to try to get these kids on the same page, believing in the same thing. And you started to see how much better we got towards the middle latter part of the season. Like We started playing yeah. really good ball. Um, so I got to imagine that with spring ball this year, finally being in the same system uh, and seeing the pieces come together from a coaching staff and from a player standpoint, that they're going to be even more improved this year. Uh, and get this thing right back on the, the way it needs to go. Love to hear that. Love to hear that about Bill. Love to hear that about the, the other parts of the defensive staff yeah. there. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about one of the bright spots of last year's team, Amari Barno. Um, kid comes in, <laughs> uh, he switches positions, works his way into the two deep, and then by season's end, you know, he's one of the standout players on your unit. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about Amari's transition to de- defensive end? And at what point last year did you know that he was going to be special at the position? Well, we already knew that Amari was he, – he's one of Coach Fuente's favorite guys. You know, he hadn't had the success that he, he wanted or envisioned early on, but 
he played his tail off on special teams. Uh, he was in a linebacker role. So Coach Coach Bill and myself we, and Coach Ham, we, we went to Coach Fool like, let's please let it just let's, let's switch positions on this guy. Let's get him at the DN spot because we got to get our best athletes on the field. Like the teams that we're playing in ACC were explosive on the offensive side of the ball. And we have to be able to match that uh, with the same kind of explosion, the same kind of speed uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So Coach Wente uh, allowed us to, to 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 entertain pushing Barno to DN. He had a conversation with Barno's uh, mom. Uh, wanted to make sure everybody was in the loop and everybody felt good about the transition. And then from that point on, Mari and myself and, and Coach Zach, our GA at that point in time, we spent time with him going over footwork, going over hand placement, learning pass rush stuff. Because that was something that was completely foreign to him, yeah. even though he played linebacker. So we had to get to the point where he did that. Uh, the Rona knocked some guys out for a couple of weeks and had a couple of injuries as always having the football. And next thing you know, Amari's starting games and playing with elite effort. And Amari or Barno is a smart, smart cat. And he understands concepts. He understands what to do. And he's usually a cat that you can tell him once, maybe twice, he got it. Okay. So the leaps and bounds that he made last year during the season, really not having uh, an off season to, to learn this stuff. Like, he would literally learn on the fly every day at the practice. So, this, like I said, this year, this opportunity has OTA spring ball, like, he could completely take off. Um, and if he's fortunate enough to get to a combine, it's a wrap. Because he's uber athletic, yeah. So all the all the cars and all the dominoes are stacked in his favor, and like I said, just continue to progress uh, as far as learning the defense, learning how to be a defensive end, and then uh, learning the fundamentals and techniques he needs to succeed. Now it could be it could be scary this year. Can I ask someone yeah. follow up on that? <laughs> when, when when was it like? Was it the first time he practiced at defensive end? Were you like, oh boy? <laughs> you. He he's definitely a guy you want to come off the bus first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can definitely tell you that. Oh, he's big and can move. Okay, okay. <laughs> like if he get a couple more sandwiches, oh That's man, right. it's gonna be real. <laughs> oh man, that's great. That's great. I, you know, we we loved watching Barno progress last year. I mean, that was that was kind of one of the big highlights that we had of the season. So it's good to hear um, that that transition kind of went like 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 we were talking about there. Let's talk about another guy, uh, Jordan Williams. Um, he was a big ad uh, from the portal just before you took the 49er job. Um, he made a point to mention relationships with you and Coach Fuente as to why he ended up coming to the Hokies. Um, what was it like helping recruit a high-profile transfer portal player like Jordan? And like, what's the biggest thing that he's going to bring to the table for the Hokies in 2021? Well, it was cool. Like We were always – you're always scouring the – the, the portal for guys that can help your team. That's kind of where college football is kind of come to right now. Uh, but with him being a guy from the 757, it, it hit closer to home. Yeah. You know, Coach Winter was already familiar with him uh, from being in, like, I think it was top, I think it was, it was between Tech and Clemson before he made his final decision to go to Clemson. Yeah. Uh, so Coach Winter always uh, wanted Jordan to be a part of the family. Uh, with me being a 757 guy, uh, I want, all the best guys from that area to come here to have the same experience that I had at Virginia Tech. Uh, so it was elite. Like, as soon as he was officially in the portal, I was on. Coach <laughs> wanted to go get him. I, I went to like, go all right. get him. Uh, and, we, and surprisingly, we connected. Like, it wasn't it wasn't a sell job. That's not something that 
I believe in. That's not something that Coach Ham believes in or Coach Fuente. We're going to tell you the truth. And who better to tell you the truth than a guy like myself that played there, graduated from there in three and a half years, got the opportunity to play in the league from the exact same place you are. So we were able to connect on that. I was able to connect with his mom and dad uh, on, the, on the opportunity that he had at Virginia Tech. Uh, and it just, it just, everything just fell in place. And I think for him, being that he was at Clemson, he played, I think, what, three or four straight play, you know, NCAA playoff uh, brackets and one, I think, one or two natties. Like, he has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of wisdom to give to the younger guys. And when you have a guy like that, it elevates everybody's play, everybody's production. Uh, and even as coaches, it elevates you because you want to make sure that you're putting everybody in the right position to accomplish the team goal and accomplish their individual goals as well. So he he adds so much to this picture. Uh, he could really take off this year. I know that um, he's been doing very well uh, conditioning-wise. Went from Colorado's, which I went to workouts, mm-hmm. went through spring ball. Like, guys respect him and what he's brought to the table. And he has a chance to really uh, make a, a huge name for himself in the ACC and hopefully put himself in the – to run to be drafted next year. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the 757, you know, before you. 757. <laughs> yeah. Tide water, 757, yeah. however you want to call it. Um, <laughs> before you approached for the 49ers, you know, you were kind of starting to run the point on the 757 recruiting and in Virginia Tech football alumni um, relations, which. Yes, One of our guests, Dwight Vick, looks like he's taking that baton from you and starting to run with it on his own, right? But yeah, what are some of the challenges down in the 7-5 and the alumni fronts today that may not have been there when you were first getting the tech back in the early 2000s? Um, probably the biggest thing is that you have a coach that's only been there for, what, now six years? You know, when I came to Tech, Beamer and Coach Foster and Coach Wiles, they already been there for 16 years. Yeah. You know, so that's just a level of continuity and stability that was established. Um, and it was already running this course where you have a, a, a new guy in Coach Fuente that was not Coach Beamer. Everybody that's a college football fan, especially the tech fans, they understand stuff was done a certain way in Blacksburg. And that's what they were used to for 30, for 29 years of Coach Beamer, for 32 years of Coach Foster and Coach Wiles. That's how stuff was done. So it could have been Coach Foster, it could have been Coach Fuente, it could have been Coach Smith or Coach Joe, whoever it was that came in after Coach Beamer, and it would have been in the exact same boat as Coach Fuente's in now. And he's continually to try to lead and do things his way. Still got to pay homage to Coach, way Coach Beamer did stuff, but this is Coach Fuente's program. And I think that's probably been the biggest hurdle that him and the staff that he's continued to put together have always had to overcome. Um, and stuff was done a different way back when I was coming out. Like we had to make our highlight tapes on VHS. There's probably people on this on this in this, this call don't know what VHS is. <laughs> probably right. It was done a certain <laughs> it was done a certain way. Whereas now, as a college coach, if you tell me about a kid that's out here in California and I'm in Blacksburg, I could be on the phone with him recruiting him in 30 minutes or less. I had seen his highlight tape. I got his transcript. Like it's just a different way. So. Uh, the relationships that were built back then, there was a certain way it was done back then that's not necessarily done now because now you have a bigger footprint and now you're having to compete with more people. Like it was unheard of for uh, Notre Dame or USC or Arizona or these schools to come to Virginia to get kids because they didn't know about them. 
So now you have to deal with that this whole explosion of recruiting, and you got to be on even more to where it seems like, wow. You know, some days y'all be like, wow, I seem like Tech is throwing out offers to everybody or somebody. Like, that's kind of where it is. Like, you have to be on them extremely fast, mm-hmm. do your evaluation, and try to get these connections because every school from across the nation has access to any kid out there. And seven five seven ain't the best kept secret that it was back in the nineties and nah, early two thousands. <laughs> you, you mentioned something, and I'll ask you this: you know, you were getting recruited oh one oh two, right? You signed oh two. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What was the furthest school you got an offer from? Uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Okay. Yep. And Ke- Kevin Rogers, who was the was the quarterback coach, QB coach um, of Tech. Yeah. <laughs> he was the one. He was the one that recruited me and offered me, and then I I didn't hear from him. For like a couple months, and then all of a sudden I hear from him again. Now he's at Tech. I'm like, hey, man. <laughs> um, but I did. I got interest letters from Ohio State and those places, but it never crossed my mind to go that far away from home. Like my top three was uh, University, well, Virginia Tech, University of Maryland, and then University of Florida. And Florida was one of those schools that was kind of unheard of too, but. The reason why Florida became a, a school for me because my middle school principal, Debbie Stoops, her brother was a D-line coach. Ricky Hurley was a coach, D-line coach at Florida. <laughs> so when he offered me a Florida, I'm like, I'm going to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but when I, when I went for my official visit, that whole staff, Coach Spurrier took that whole staff and went to the Redskins. Yeah. Uh, yep. So yep, like I said, it was, it was done a different way. It was all about relationships and people that you knew to get in those situations where the game has changed now as far as recruiting. That's wild, man, because if we do think about it, and I mean, we're roughly all the same age. I'm 37. Yeah. I know y'all are in y'all's 30s as well, but it has changed. When There was yeah. no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. We couldn't live stream this back in the day. Not at all. It's it's instant connections. And, you know, we, we kind of sit here and say, well, why, why can't we do as good down there? And it's like, because everybody knows about down there. Yeah. Everybody. And everybody's making the offers, and now you know you've got you've got programs that have private jets that coaches can jump on and do it. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's that's it's crazy still. It's changed, but I digress about that. All right, so <laughs> next thing I want to ask you about sort of a mindset. You know, you, you mentioned it earlier. COVID created a lot of really difficult things in terms of installing and adjusting elements of defense in 2020. I mean, y'all didn't have right. spring, y'all the way that fall camp was y'all had fall camp and then a, a gigantic break before the first game. No you know, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, but go into it a little deeper with the, with the benefits of a full off season, what aspects of the defense can we as fans and somebody like Brian who played the game, what are we going to see different this year for 2021 from Jay Haynes D? I think just consistency. Like last year, it was only so much stuff we could do because from week to week you were without, 10 to 20 players. Yeah. I mean, think about it. When we played UNC, we were we were we were starting a walk-on safety. Yep. Now Matheny played his butt off, and but just just the, the, the athletic disparity was so wide that by the end of the game, it was nothing that he could do. I mean, he went against he went against two running backs that were drafted in the first three rounds this year. Like <laughs> there was nothing that he could really do. So Diablo missed a lot of games. He's a third-round pick. Yep. So when you have Caleb Furley, the first round pick, he didn't get to play the whole season. So it was a lot of things that COVID presented to us. And we was really on our heels just trying to fight back and try to scheme up stuff to go against 
teams are going the same way. It was a, it was a, it was a, a, a league wide or a nationwide thing we everybody had to deal with. But just for us, like it was extremely tough uh, because on top of it, we're installing a brand new system with brand new coaches. Like our first three games, we didn't have our coordinator. <laughs> like you see what I'm saying? It was just it was yeah. so many things that happened uh, that it was a perfect storm of bad stuff. Yeah, I was I was always comparing it with Kurt. I was like, you know, everybody's got one hand behind their back this year, but it feels like if you're installing a new defense, you got both of them behind your back. It's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna turn back time a little bit because okay. we got to ask you some questions about your time at Tech. Um, you know, Brian and I. His first game was Rutgers 2002. You played. My first game was. UCF opening weekend 2003, you played. So literally, as our first trips to Lane Stadium, Daryl Tapp was playing <laughs> football on that ground. But the hokey lore, and we when we met you a few years ago at spring game, we even talked about it. Once you got the lunch pail, yes sir, you never let it go until you graduated, and then Bud had to literally get another lunch pail because you took it with you. Correct. But the whole thing you hear about the stories and you hear it from Bud and other players is you literally outworked everybody on the team to get that. But when you showed up in 02, you're a freshman. Was there anybody on that team in 2002 that helped drive you to be that type of player? And you play with some good ones, man. I can think. I, did. I know Jake Grove was on that team. Who else we missed? Yeah. Brian. Uh, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but was there one guy like when you got there and you saw them on that field, practice field, and the game where you were like, "That's what I'm going for." Um, honestly, yes and no. Okay. First, first and foremost, I'm a I'm a extremely family oriented guy. So my heroes is my mom and dad and my two older brothers. That's the way I was raised. Like if stuff wasn't done right, I would do it again. Mm-hmm. They told me to ride my bike from home. Uh, to practice, partly because you no know, mom was running everywhere else, doing her own, doing her stuff with, to support the family, her and dad, and they had no other way. So get on your bike and get get to going. Um, and then too, like playing sports growing up was a privilege that could be revoked quite easily if your grades and chores weren't up to par. <laughs> uh, now, once I got to tech, uh, I was going to tech with a bunch of guys from Deep Creek. Like guys that I looked up to, that were my teammates, Vegas Robinson, James Anderson, D'Angelo Hall. Uh, and I was going with guys from Tech, from D Creek to Tech, Josh Hyman. Uh, all these guys, we were all together. So we always pushed each other growing up as kids. Like that's what we wanted to do. We had a clear cut vision of what we wanted to accomplish when we got to Tech. Now, once I personally got to Tech, uh, the D line room was a veteran laden group. I think our team was a veteran laden team where the coaches really had to do. Very little to get us going. Okay. If I wasn't doing what I'm supposed to do, uh, Lamar Cobb, uh, Coles Colas, Nathaniel Ladivi, uh, Jim Davis, uh, Tim Sandish, like all these guys would, would put their hands on me to make sure I was going the right way. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you learn real quick that you need to handle your business and fall in line with what we're trying to accomplish, and you'll be the best player that you can be. And of course, Coach Wiles, you know, he had a he had a, a, a reputation for helping guys to reach levels that they haven't seen. So for me, it was just the perfect storm of stuff being the way I was raised, what I envisioned, what I wanted to do with the teammates that I had played with. And like I said, walking into a veteran-laden team, uh, 
kind of created the, the person that I became once I got the tag. Awesome. Yeah. It's nice having guys that you're familiar with, that you got that comfort level with, that you know are going to push you and tell you when you're not, you know, carrying carrying the weight. No doubt. And th- that's always good to have. I had some teammates like that. I played little ball at Hanwood Sydney. I I played uh, you know high school ball. It's always good having you having boys that you can trust that know that they'll call you out when you're not doing the right thing. No doubt about it. So. Uh, you go ahead, Curtis. I'll let you finish what you got. I was going to ask, was there anybody ever on the O-line that either, A, you were like, oh, this is going to be the dog fight, and I'm going to have fun. Oh. Like, do you have, Do you remember one guy from anybody? Jeff else? King. Who's that? Jeff King. Jeff King. Oh, the tight end. Really? Sorry, okay. What, what assistant, assistant scout, assistant GM for the Bears now? Yeah, Jeff King. I, I knew every day. I'm about to bring my heart out. <laughs> Man, I played against him in high school. He's a punter in, in Pulaski, too. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a that was crazy. Technically sound, strong, like unassuming, but he'll put his hands on you. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's even better to hear about because you think about King and his work ethic because he's busted his butt to get, I mean, right. he's borderline. I think if Carolina doesn't have a good season, I think Jeff King might get that GM job down there. Yeah. And Brian, of course, you had to play against him up at Pulaski. It's it's funny. Again, it's it's, it's the connections, man. It's, it's no wild. doubt. It's wild. So we're gonna be straight up. Okay. Two thousand four team. Now it, it was picked to finish in the bottom half of the ACC. Fools. Fools. <laughs> Fools. And but that ain't how it went down. And obviously, Miami game. Me and the man comes over to my apartment at Longwood. One o'clock kick. We cracking beers. We're watching that game, screaming at the TV for you guys. That season holds a very special place for us. I think probably because Brown was at Sydney, I was at Longwood. We got to watch some games together when he wasn't playing or had one game early. It, it 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 just holds a very special place in our heart. B. Rand's brother was Sigla's RA. Yeah. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, but what was so different about that year? Because it, it was it was something special back in 2004. Um, so it, it, I think it was a sign of it, – it was, it was, we took it as a disrespect and we took it as a challenge. We were just leaving the Big East had finished the year horribly. Then we lost like three out of the last four games that year. We, we won those games, we won the Big East. And then uh, we got an opportunity to go into the ACC. And, of course, everybody that knows, like, it was a whole ordeal to get us into the ACC and the whole nine. They were trying to leave us out. Mm-hmm. And then the way the powers that be set up the ACC is they set it up because they wanted Miami and Florida State to play in the championship. No, they put us, they put them in different brackets so they can set it up. But they put us and UVA in the same bracket. Like, okay, this wasn't done with that. They were just trying to get more teams in here so they could have it. So we took it as a sign of disrespect. Uh, and we came out the gate. We knew we had USC coming out the gate. Um, so our focus was streamlining. The guys that were coming up, coming in age, becoming uh, the juniors, we were trying to take the team over. That was our that was our total mindset for the all season. Uh, going into training camp, and we caught fire and believed in one another. Like, you still can't tell me to this day that, and I hate to blame, ever blame anything on the refs, but the refs affected the USC game. You're damn right. Josh Hammond did not get <laughs> off. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, pick up the game, and I still get Lofa Tatubu and uh, Phil, uh, Mike Patterson and Lawrence Jackson. Hell about it from USC. Like you guys were getting destroyed. All right, so then we got into ACC play. I think what Duke was the first game. I think so. And yep. it was on. Like from that point on, we just went to work. Uh, we caught up a, a tough one to NC State at uh, at home. Yep. And then we coughed up one thing later. No, y'all didn't cough up any. No, y'all it was the bowl out. game. It was the bowl game. Yeah, the bowl game. It was a war. <laughs> right. And it was, it was just a clear, focused team of what we wanted to accomplish. And I think that the the, the name of the game was changing. Like, Big East was a run-dominant a run league. So we had a bunch of guys that kind of played that system. And those guys were kind of graduating, moving out. And – as we were moving to the ACC, that's when more athletic players that we had were kind of coming into age. Uh, and we just kind of took off. I don't think that they were ready for the type of physicality that we had. The way Coach Gentry got us prepared to play uh, each and every season, but especially that season, to make our first impression what it was, the mindset that we had to go out there and let them know that we're not no 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 cakewalk. That that showed on Saturdays, and we did our, we did our thing. It was exciting to be a part of, you know, just seeing that the the rejuvenation of Hokie football. Yeah, you know, the attendant detail that we had. Uh, it was that was a, that was a fun time, man. It a was lot of, a lot of lifelong bonds, relationships made. It, it was it was nice to kind of put a stamp on the ACC, saying, "Hey, we're here. We're here. We're here. We about to run the rest of <laughs> we about to run the rest of this decade." No. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm, I'm going to pivot a little bit here to uh, to somebody that's near and dear to pretty much every Hokie fan's hearts, uh, Bud Foster. Uh, you know, obviously Ho- Hokie legend, best to do it, in my opinion. No doubt. No. Um, what are some of the lessons or habits that you learned from Bud uh, during your time in Blacksburg and uh, that you kind of still carry today or still kind of uh, put those to action today? Uh, the intensity for the game. And as far as being consistent in the way he carried himself, you couldn't tell if uh, Coach Foster was pissed, happy, sad. Like he was <laughs> always the same intent guy. Intensity, intensity, intensity. And you got to see his passion and love for the game through that. You know, and it wasn't just on the football field. Like he cares about you as an individual person. Like Coach Foster, still to this day, will still call and text me just to check in on me and see what's going on. Coach Beamer does the same thing. Coach Steinspring, who's my recruiting coach and O-line coach at the point in time, he still does the same thing. Like, that's the way those guys were, and that's what that's all we knew. Um, so that's the same way I tried to carry myself when I was in the collegiate level and even now at this level, like trying to create a bond with each individual player. Because I still say it, and I was, I'll say it until uh, the day I retire. Like, if you show that you can help a player – and you genuinely care about the player, you could tell a player that the sky's green. And because of that much love and respect he has for you and the way you're pouring into him, he'll be like, you know what, Coach Tab, it is green. What are we doing now? You know, you got to make those relationships and you got to invest in people so they know that you have the same goal that they want to accomplish and you want to try to help them get there. That's something that Coach Foster always taught and always brought to us. Um, and probably the coolest thing, the coolest moment with Coach Foster was that NC State game. Like, we had played our tails off. We got the ball back to the offense. But their defense was something, something unreal that year. I think they had, like, three, four, four first-round picks on their D-line. Three of them came out with me. Well, two, three, three of them came out, two of them came out with me, and two of them came out, like, the year after. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but we did everything we needed to do. And we put the ball back in the offense's hand and let them work. He was like, I just want to – he brought the whole defense up and said, look, I appreciate everything that y'all boys did today. And that's something that's always understood before him in that moment while the game was still going on, they are driving to pull us up and let us know, like, that means everything. Because we know that we're just not a commodity. Like, they truly, truly cared about us and what we're trying to accomplish and do. Like, that was, that was pretty special. That's to remember. That's awesome to hear. And I, like I said, so many Hokie fans, like you hear stories about just how much you could tell that Bud cares about you, cares about the game, and no just doubt. put everything into the game uh, when he showed up to work every day. So that, that's awesome to hear. We're going we're gonna to pivot a little bit here to some more, I, I'll call them fun questions. Um, not, not so much Hokie related, not NFL related. I'm going to start off with this one because I'm the movie guy. Um, okay. Curtis, Curtis likes movies, but I, I'm, I'm the big movie head here. Um, right. everybody has this, like, it's, it's a bad movie. Everybody knows it's a bad movie, but you love it. And every time it's on, you're going to watch it. What's that movie for you? Uh, wow. Um, I'm probably going to go ask by. Eddie Murphy. There we go. <laughs> there we go. You know, Eddie Murphy, even when the movie's bad, it's still good because it's got Eddie Murphy in it. No, no. Good. <laughs> I mean, everybody's watched Beverly Hills Cop 3. It ain't the original or the second, but it's still good because Eddie can still carry a movie, man. I literally have it downloaded my iPad right now. <laughs> not going to lie to you. Everybody <laughs> trash Haunted Mansion, but I enjoyed myself. <laughs> you can't read it, man. You cannot. That's right. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna go turn. This is kind of a, a a question. Your personality, but also what happened back in the day. Um, right. you know, in the locker room, what were those three songs that were gonna get played to get you guys ready? And in no particular order. And Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. So uh, this is our heyday, early two thousands. What were the three go tos? Mm, it probably been some some form of DMX. Rest in peace. Off that album. Rest in peace. Uh, Something like this. Hold on, just listen. There it is. What? That's enough for they like kill our stream because we got <laughs> we hype. We throw two. We throw ten seconds in there. We're good. <laughs> What's another one? DMX definitely. Um, I see that. We went, we went to Miami to play them for the uh, the pseudo ACC championship. Yep. Uh, Ludacris came out. Ooh, buddy, coming for the top spot. Oh, 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 hold on. Where is it? Yep. I know what it is. I'll look it up, too, in case I ain't got it. Let's do the whole weekend. Here it is. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. Back again. Luda. Luda. This gets meaner and meaner each time, right? There we go. Feeling real good. That's it. That's it. That's it. Don't slip up. <laughs> Coming for that number one spot. All right. That number one spot, that's awesome, especially to hear you guys were jamming that, heading down to Coral Gables in the old Orange Bowl. What is that? Yeah, man. 
because that was the only championship game I ever played in the Orange Bowl, and y'all took it from them, baby. I worked them out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, one more. One more banger from the early 2000s that was in the Hokies locker room. Mm, it probably would have been one of the Jay-Z songs. That would have been a gift and a curse, that album when it came out. Gift and the curse, okay. That sounds oh, about right. <laughs> think gift and the curse. Yeah, but that was probably the top three. Okay. Like that, and I will still, we'll, that's when the iPad, the iPod did it first drop. The, the brick, <laughs> the, big boy. Have the a, big boy, the big boy. Yeah, I had to have a CD book and some batteries that first year. Now I play it. Now I is a game changer. That's right. Oh, I can just carry that one device. Uh, yeah, this is way better. <laughs> <laughs> but there, I mean, was real like your time. I mean, you were all American at Tech. You know, we. Obviously, we watched your career from the day you got there until the day you retired, and now it's it's fun for us just following you, um, you know, your career in coaching because, you know, obviously we were talking about it right before we got on. You got that bug. You know, you went to Tampa Bay, wife and kids living in New Orleans. You come back. They basically say, hey, you're hired. Yeah. You're a coach. <laughs> and you should have been here. So, I mean – and I see nothing, in my opinion, of knowing the individual you are. Um, I see nothing but good things ahead. I hopefully I see a Super Bowl ring the next time no we talk, maybe. No, because <laughs> you know, then that would be sweet. Um, I'm hoping you get it for you, but I, I, I would like to like it to go another way. But you know, if, if you ended up getting it, I, I, I would feel like this is that's number two for me. So that that's all good. <laughs> all right, folks, well, you guys are being shy out there tonight. Um, this is Daryl Tapp. Daryl Tapp is not shy. Brian Siegel and Chris Wilson are not shy guys. We, we <laughs> you know, it was funny. Daryl, again, I'm a, we really appreciate this. We reached out to you in February and asked, would you like to come on? And you were straight up with us. You said, give me a few months. You were like, give me a few months, um, and i got to make this move and everything. We right. give it a few months, we hit you. You hit us back and basically say, I'll do it. Thank you for not saying, like, 3 o'clock. It made me choose between my son's baseball. Sleeping on my neighbor's couch tonight if that happened, but we really appreciate that, man. Um, no, that is my my pleasure, man. Like anytime I can help out home, I'm all for it. Like that's part of my biggest thing. Like the people that have poured into me, supported me, the the fan or people that I've known have all helped me be the person I am today. So I literally bust myself to make my mom and dad, my older brothers. My wife, my kids, proud, and then everybody that supported me along the way. Like that's my biggest thing. Like I don't ever want to let anybody down uh, because of uh, bad mood or anything like that. Like I always want to make sure you guys feel wanted and appreciated for everything you did to help me. And we we really appreciate you, and you you definitely you know out there showing the best of what Hokie Nation is all about. So we really appreciate that too. You really are, man. Well, folks, that is going to wrap up this live stream of the Boundary Corner podcast. Along with our guest, Daryl Tapp, I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all our episodes. While you're there, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, and your favorite podcast course, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. And if you guys go back and listen to last spring, there is a Hokie Mount Rushmore. 
the gentleman that joined us here tonight was on that Hokie Mount Rushmore. And also, if you're looking to join to, to join the Hokie Club and help achieve Reach for Excellence campaign, please visit the boundarycornerbt.com forward slash giving to get started. We're definitely supporting the school with that. We, as always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out, catch his music on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you all for listening and watching tonight. And as always, let's go. Hokies. Okay.